Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for watching over us last night and waking us up this morning. As you love to watch us with your favor and hear our prayers with your attention, we pray that our meditation of your words and our thought of you throughout the day be pleasing to you. In the most pleasant name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 to 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threat. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, revere Christ as the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with a gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, uh, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirit, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through, the, through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of a dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heaven and is at, the God, is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. While some commentators find this passage, especially the Christ proclamation down in the hell, very problematic and confusing to understand, we need to remember the overarching issue in 1 Peter was suffering. The word suffering appears 88 times in the New Testament. The one book mentioned suffering more than all other books is 1 Peter, the book that we've been meditating. 1 Peter mentioned the suffering for 19 times. 19 times out of 88 times in the New Testament, this short book mentioned the suffering. Today, Peter was exhorting and guiding Gentile Christians how to endure their suffering for their faith. In this passage, Peter brings three perspectives about Christian suffering for righteousness. First one is a pragmatic perspective. Pragmatic perspective. Second one is an evangelistic perspective. And the third and final one, final one is an ultimate Christocentric perspective. Yes, Christocentric is a big word. Peter begins the first section with an exhortation to be good based on pragmatic concern that such a behavior will be less likely to bring persecution. 
Peter asked this question somewhat rhetorically, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Suffering does not, should not change our call to live out a good, faithful life. Even if the worst comes worse, suffering for good is better than suffering for bad. And suffering for good definitely will not uh, add a more suffering if, I mean, according to Peter's pragmatic reasoning. And later, Paul, Peter again said the uh, verse 14 that even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then verse 17, Peter said, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. So he gives a very pragmatic you know, exhortation. And second, Peter connects the suffering to evangelistic perspective. Regardless of what is going on, Peter adds, Christians must always be ready to explain their hope in unassuming manner. In verse 15, put in your heart, revere, but in your heart, revere Christ as a Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with a gentleness and respect. Here, Peter saying, the great opportunity lies before us. When we suffer, suffer for Christ, it leads other people's attention. It catches other people's attention. It leads other people's wonder why Christians insist their faith even in their sufferings. How we behave in our suffering speaks about our faith in a volume louder than any other time or any other thing. Here, Peter gives a quintessential wisdom to share the gospel. First, live a faithful, uh, reverent life first. Don't talk about God first. Walk reverently with God, even in adverse situations. And then, some people notice that. Then you talk about God you follow with a readiness and gentleness and humility. This is a biblical evangelism. Many contemporary Christians think about an evangelist as somebody at the street corner shouting or someone handing out a gospel track in front of a supermarket. New Testament evangelists, they were quiet, unassuming, ordinary, yet faithful Christians with an extraordinary hope in Christ. Finally, Peter gives us Christological, or what I call it, Christocentric perspective. On this last exhortation, Peter quotes an extra-biblical book called the First Enoch. First Enoch is one of the 14 so-called Hebrew Apocryphas. Hebrew Apocryphas, uh, such as the books of, uh, books of uh, Esther, Book of Maccabees, and Book of Baruch, and Book of Ballinger. I'm not going to go all through that. Uh, which were the uh, so-called apocryphas. They were written uh, during the intertestamental period, a time of 400 years between the end of Old Testament, uh, that means Malachi, and the beginning of whatever the New Testament book. 
While the most Christians are not familiar with these extra-biblical spiritual writings, Jewish people in the first century knew them, and Jewish Christians like Peter frequently made references to them to connect a point. I don't have time to go into details uh, about this, you know, all these things, the meaning of imprisoned spirit and all this, but I just want to simply uh, tell you this. That Peter did not mean Jesus saves the people in the hell for the second time or with a second chance. Peter was simply using Enoch's story to illustrate Christ's suffering and victory over evil as an ultimate example and destiny for Christians to follow. The key verse in this final section to remember is verse 18. For Christ also Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. A commentator shouted on this verse that here we can see the clearest, clearest explanation and the concrete definition of a doctrine of atonement in the Bible. Christ suffered once for all, from which we get the word atonement, that at one moment, Christ suffered once, at one moment, to bring us to God, unite us with God. You know, atonement means at one moment. Put it together, it's an atonement. Christ's righteous suffering brought us or united us to God. And Christ's righteous suffering saves the unrighteous like us. In the same way, our righteous suffering will lead us to join the ultimate victory proclamation of Christ as a people. Therefore, do not change your allegiance to Christ because of a suffering, but continue your faithful journey with God even in suffering. That's what Peter is saying. Christ also suffered and won our salvation. Our suffering for Christ is, will be also meaningful as faithful witness to God's gracious love to save us. I find the Peter's exhortation for suffering very relevant and timely to our current situation called pandemic. Though virtual fatigue is open, uh, increasingly felt uh, unbearable, let us remember that one day, actually sooner than we expected, pandemic will end. And when it ends, you and I will face our own legacy. What would be our legacy for COVID-19? What would we tell our children and grandchildren what we did during this COVID-19? I really pray that everyone in forest we can say that we did more than TV binge watching or Netflix, whatever. It was not a time of a spiritual hibernation, but for us it's a time of a faithful journey and the extra caring for others. For us, this is a time of a spiritual vigilance. Our country and our world needs our prayer more than ever. Our BIPs and MIAs need extra contact and care and communication more than ever. Let us, remember, let us remember 
that the early uh, Christian monastic movement, uh, monastics uh, people, movement people, they sought God intentionally in isolated places like a desert. For desert fathers, pandemic like ours is a blessing in this, not a blessing in disguise. It's a clear blessing to focus on God and pray for one another. Let us not waste our pandemic. Seriously, let us take a full advantage of this pandemic to express our care and our commitment to each other. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to trust and see that you are still in control. Though we don't see each other and everything as we used to, you see everything and everything is under your control. Help us submit ourselves to you by casting all our anxieties and frustration through prayers. Grant us faith and faithfulness to find your grace that we did not see or recognize before during this pandemic so that we can thank you in all situations and we can encourage one another even more surprisingly than ever before. In the most victorious name of Christ, we all pray. Amen.